Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. We come to you every Sunday at 6 p.m. on your radio, but you can also hear podcasts of all of our shows. And as I said, I'm Ron Aaron, but Carol Zerniel is the uh, really the heavy lifter on this show, a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Well, you are the heavy lifter because you know a lot about aging and aging issues. That's right. It, you know, the older I get, the the more I lift. And as you think about it, we talked last week uh, to uh, Dr. Barry Jacobs, who mentioned that a lot of people aren't prepared for the changes that come with aging. That's, but you know all about them. I know. It's, you know, is that I don't know I don't, if you want to know me or not. The jury is still out on that. But but some we have some guests today that everyone will want to know. I love the idea of our next guests. A musical theatrical performance called Tangles. Uh, dealing with Alzheimer's, and Dr. Charles Samenow will be joining us along with uh, the musical director, Jeffrey Stiegler, and they're going to talk about how they put together a program for med students and others uh, dealing with the issue of Alzheimer's. That's right. Tangles is the absolute perfect name. Well, and and of course it refers to the tangles in the brain that are characteristic of Alzheimer's. Of course, she says. Of course, that's what it, you know, it's not the tangled movie about hair and princesses and princes. The Princess and Prince, you know, yeah. Rapunzel. My kids love Tangled. Yeah, that's oh, a, that's really that an excellent one. But that's not this. But no. it is a musical. It is almost the same, and it, but it's just not Disney, right? No, it's not Disney. It's not it's, Disney. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Charles Samenow, who is a, a physician, and we're going to talk with him in just a few minutes. But before we do that, uh, my dad was a pharmacist. Uh, 50 years he had his own little drugstore, and people would always come up and ask Saul uh, for information and advice and you've got a list that he probably already had in his head. Nine things your pharmacist wants you to know. Well, this comes from uh, Next Avenue, and, and they often get uh, content from grandparents.com, which I have. Grandparents.com has me a fabulous website. Let's all go check it out between now and the next show because there's a lot of information that you hear us talk about uh, from grandparents.com. But nine things your pharmacist wants to know, and I, I – I am a true believer in pharmacists. You know, um, the sorry, we're we're having some extra like lights here in the studio. Um, but we don't have to evacuate. Yeah, they'll let us know if we need to evacuate. <laughs> we're okay, right. right? Um, so that you know, a lot of times we talk to our doctor about medications, but pharmacists know the real scoop, um, and medications are one of those. Issues medication management is, that is so critical for family caregivers and so critical for any health care. Uh, and, and a lot of us don't do it well or don't do it right. So I just, for example, where do you keep the medications at your house? I know you have little ones. In the wrong place. In the wrong Are they in, in the, the bathroom? bathroom. So number one, don't store your medications in the bathroom, son of the pharmacist. Then why did they invent <laughs> medicine cabinets? Right, in the bathroom. And, and you, you know, it's all that moisture. It's those high, the changes in temperature. It's really steamy hot. It's, you know, and everything blows out. So um, it can cause your drugs to degrade uh, and you should really, they should be in a nightstand or a kitchen cabinet away from the stove uh, if you are storing your medicines. And I'm, I'm smiling. My medications are in the, in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom, too. I would never remember, and I don't take much, but I would never remember to take them. If they were elsewhere, I know that's the problem. Is you have to remember to take them, but don't store them in the bathroom. Brush and my you teeth, don't, and take you don't want to leave mat. them out where kids. You're the kids or the grandkids. We have kids, yeah. You know, can get to them, so they have to be in a locked cabinet or, or cabinet that doesn't open. So that's number one. Number two is what we used. They used to tell all of us, "Oh, when you have unused medications, just flush them down the toilet." Well, the environmentalists don't say that anymore. It's bad for fish. Because all of us are on Prozac from all the Prozac that's been dumped in the water system. There are medications that don't dissolve in water. And so they stay. They wow. hang around. Or if a lot of people are taking them, they can build up concentrations in the water. So if you're, cons- you know, a lot of uh, most communities have um, one day that you can take in old medications. It's going to take back day. Either your pharmacist or the county 
you know, medical folks, your county hospital folks. For disposal of drugs. For disposal. Um, but you can go to the FDA website, the federal, uh, the, I'm sorry, Food, and, Food drug and Drug Administration. I'll get it right. The Food and Drug Administration. Um, and they have a list of things that you might be able to flush. You really should check with your local authorities uh, before you do any of that. Um, so don't flush them down. Uh, the third one is is another biggie for everyone. It's taking your over-the-counter medications correctly uh, because a lot of us think if one is good, then five must be way better because yeah. it's over-the-counter, so it doesn't count. Yeah, more is better, right? Yeah, more is better, and it doesn't count because that's not, they sell it over-the-counter, so we can just take them like you know candy if we want to. No, 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 no. Um, especially if you're taking prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs, you really need to check with your doctor about the interaction of drugs and never take more of your over-the-counter drugs than it says in the little bottle. If you can read that small writing. Now, everyone who has a primary care physician, when you go for your annual uh, checkup, they always ask you to bring all your medications in and any supplements and other over-the-counter drugs you're taking. Right, right. And and, and do that so that they can take a look at them or take them to your pharmacist. Um, uh, and so we were talking about we think more is better and, and number four is less can be better, particularly in those creams. Uh, that you rub on your skin, we're like, that's another place where let's just keep on putting that cream on. And then you end up with a rash, unsightly peeling, or worse. So um, it's okay to ask your doctor, how much of that ointment should I really put what, what on would, my skin? What would the or worse be? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think. So, <laughs> you know, like Retin-A is an example of something that you would put on your skin that you don't want to just, you know, bathe yourself in ointment. Um, you don't want to share your prescriptions. I did that once, and I got yelled at by the doctor for taking my husband's medications and, they, and for something that I didn't have. I self-diagnosed <laughs> and self-medicated myself. Don't do that. They really frown on that. It's not good. When you talk to the directors of our WellMed Charitable Foundation senior centers, some in cooperation with the city, the directors will tell you they see people doing that. In, in the, the parking centers. lot. Yes. In the parking lot. Yeah, in the not center. in the centers, but no, in the parking lot. I can guarantee you at yeah. the senior centers, yeah. we do not, that does not no, happen. In the, where, outside. <laughs> yeah, in the parking lot. Don't yeah. do that. Stop bad. doing bad, 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 bad. Um, and the other bad thing is splitting your pills to make them last longer. So if you split one of those capsules, the reason you're, that's in a capsule is because it tastes really bad. And if you split that capsule, you're really you're going to regret that. Um, but splitting your pills, changing the dosage, you know, to make them last longer, yeah, don't do that unless your doctor tells you that you need a lower dose than what the pill is whole and has the little hash thing. And if you have trouble affording it, talk to your doctor. They they can get help. That's right. Um, and in that's number seven is talk to your talk to your pharmacist. Um, you know, if you do have questions, and you can meet with a pharmacist one-on-one um, for an official meeting if you have certain kinds of insurance. So a lot of times you can have a casual conversation with a pharmacist, but if you want to bring in all your meds, you want to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with a pharmacist, that can fall into what kind of health plan do you have. Medicare you know, will allow you to talk to the pharmacist about your drugs one-on-one. You can make that appointment. Um, and the other thing you need to know about pharmacists is the doctors aren't pharmacists, but the pharmacists are also not doctors. So if you have a diagnosis and want to talk to the pharmacist about the medications that go with that diagnosis, that's fine. But if you go to the pharmacist and say, what should I do about this, and point to something on your body, um, he's going to send you to your doctor because he's not a doctor. He can't diagnose I used to see that happening all the time in my dad's drugstore. Sal, what should I do? See your doctor. <laughs> see your doctor. Go yeah. Run run to your doctor. Exactly. Oh, that's terrible. Those are, run. Those are good tips. Those are really good tips. Yeah. Now we have more tips. And if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer, Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Seven reasons to avoid sleeping pills. Well, if you live in San Antonio, you know why you should avoid sleeping pills because one of our elected officials has been in the news because he took Ambien and had one of those sleepwalking incidents. Ended uh, up driving through a Whataburger with no pants or shirt on. And, and hit other and cars, hit cars. And hit other cars yes. also in the drive-thru. Yes. Which is, you know, uh, and I, I, have, I know people that are in our, you know, at work that their relatives have had some of the sleepwalking episodes. So Ambien, two-thirds of people taking Ambien, which is the, the most widely known, take it for weeks, months, and even years. Do, if you read the prescription, you'll see that it says that it's recommended for 7 to 10 days of use. Wow. 
Because if you take it longer, you may become one of those people in the headlines that has the sleepwalking incident. Yeah, the other problem with sleeping pills that, you know, I tried one once is you wake up the next morning and you cannot wake up. That groggy, sluggy feeling that should be gone, even if you've had, you've had a full nine hours of sleep, it should be gone. But some of us, you know, don't tolerate it well, so that's not unusual. So that might be a reason why you don't want to do it. Um, you can have an, a negative reaction um, like the people with Ambien that drive, eat, talk, and go places um, and they're sleepwalking and they have no memory of it whatsoever. So um, the newest sleeping aid called Bell Sombra uh, is the most widely advertised new sleeping aid and they're saying even that one um, has had people report some weird things. Uh, And the last one that's kind of scary, some people have temporary muscle paralysis or inability to speak. So when you're asleep right, you don't act out the things that are happening in your dream. And so this paralysis and inability to speak is because your brain is stuck in that state of wow. being of being in a dream where you're not actually going to walk or run. And so that's kind of a scary thing that as is well. Scary. So, you know, to sleep better, cut the caffeine, um, you know, talk to your doctor. Uh, having a sleep disturbance that every once in a while, having a period we don't sleep well is not unusual. Uh, but don't just load up on the over the you know the the sleep aids and and use them as they're prescribed uh, and don't mix any sleep aids with alcohol that is a recipe for disaster good tip that's what that elected official also said he did yes yes so i mean sleeping pills are are, are can be serious so do talk to your doctor if you're having sleep problems carol zernio ron aaron 9:30 a.m the answer on caregiver sos on air dr charles same now joins us in just a couple of moments we talk about his musical theatrical performance of play that deals with Alzheimer's called Tangles. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, as we promised, we've got a really interesting segment coming up. And Dr. Charles Samnow joins us, a physician at the George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C., Associate Director for Medical Student Education in Psychiatry. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel and Dr. Samnow. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Great. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Well, when we saw the uh, information about a show that uh, you've been responsible for and uh, your associate, who we'll talk to uh, in just a few minutes, Jeffrey Stiegler, uh, tangles a musical play about Alzheimer's, we said, hey, we got to get this guy on the radio. Oh, thank you. I know it's a very unusual uh, concept to have a musical on Alzheimer's, but we're thrilled to talk about it and tell you how we came up with the idea and what we're trying to do with it. How did you come up with the idea? Well, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, Jeffrey Steiger and I met, uh, boy, back in 2003, and he's really a pioneer in using theater to reach um, uh, professionals, particularly in higher education, uh, on uh, tough topics. His original focus, which he'll tell you more about, was on classroom dynamics. But I, as a physician, said, wow, this is what we need in medicine. We need to find a new way to reach medical professionals. And I thought, no better way than using the power and influence of theater. So we've been working together on a variety of pieces about theater over the past four years. And about two years ago, we kept getting the message from folks saying, 
dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, everyone had a relative, a grandmother, someone they knew who had Alzheimer's, and they said, this isn't the next frontier of medicine. We have an aging population. We have a healthcare profession that is struggling uh, to find a cure, but in the meantime, we have patients and caregivers who are completely frustrated with the system. How can we make a better experience for patients, family, and caregivers around Alzheimer's? And this became our project, to use a musical theater piece to educate both patients and providers about the experience. Now, your background in uh, student education uh, certainly provides the interest, but had you had experience uh, putting together musical theater? No. Uh, Jeffrey Steiger is the, the brains behind the musical uh, aspects of the piece, and he had written a musical at the University of Michigan about the dynamics of a, uh, of a department uh, struggling. But um, when we were working together to put a piece together that spoke to audiences, it became apparent that music needed to be the way. I have no background in music, and in fact, you wouldn't want me anywhere close to a musical instrument or a microphone. Uh, but he, on the other hand, and took these narratives from patients, families, and caregivers and produced beautiful, beautiful music to accompany the narrative to tell the story. Well, I think that's what's so clever is the fact that it's not just a play because we've had plays that deal, you know, and there's been movies that deal with the Alzheimer's, but the, the it's the musical piece that I think is so very clever um, and really... You know, put you in a different place when you're listening to a musical. The music has an ability to to speak to your emotions, and so I haven't had the privilege of seeing the play. But do you explore a range of emotions related to Alzheimer's in the musical? Absolutely. I mean, you you really nailed it on the head there. The number one reason we chose music, actually there's there's multiple reasons, but it was that emotional component. And for several reasons. One, we know that doctors are great technicians and great thinkers, but sometimes the emotional aspect is what patients feel we miss the mark on. So we wanted to find a way to access the emotional experience of both the patient and the provider uh, through uh, a different medium, and we felt music was the appropriate way. We explore not only what the patient is experiencing, but what the teenage granddaughter is experiencing. We have what the family experiences, and even the healthcare provider uh, has a song. So there are multiple emotions, whether it be sadness, frustration, looking at some of the strengths and resiliencies and connections of the family. So as you said, there's a wide range of emotion explored, and music is a wonderful way to do that. Well, what are are the other reasons that you picked um, music besides the emotional cues? It really comes from the neurocognitive research. Um, Number one, we know that families uh, who have individuals with loved ones with Alzheimer's, they, they, they will forget their keys, they will forget their names of people, but they'll always be able to remember their favorite song or their favorite dance. Um, and so there seems to be that special part of the brain that preserves music and the arts that uh, is in that more deep limbic reptilian part of the brain that is less impacted by the disease, certainly early on. The second reason is the neurocognitive research around non-pharmacological that means non-drug mechanisms, to help individuals. We have heard some of the most creative strategies of helping people become more oriented, remember things, become less agitated through the use of music. And so we look at music as a therapeutic tool uh, towards the disease that then is the perfect tool to tell the story. And the show has been uh, premiered in a theater in Washington, D.C. Have you had other performances? We have performed multiple, multiple times. Our first large premiere was at the Woolly Mammoth Theater uh, in one of their side theaters uh, as part of um, a D.C. arts grant, but then we brought it to an underserved area in southeast D.C. uh, last fall. We've now taken it on the road. We were in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, and we have some future performances uh, in D.C. Uh, and uh, for other uh, healthcare organizations, the American uh, Physical Therapy Association, for example, just had us in Indianapolis. So uh, we are starting to get the musical not only here local in D.C., but also on the road. Well, did you, who, who picked the stories? Did those come from your experience as a provider, or are some of them, you know, just typical stories that might have happened that you know you as the you and the creative team came up with. Sure, um, and Mr. Steiger will be able to comment more about this in the next uh, portion of this interview. Um, he is the mastermind behind the focus groups, narratives, and interviews with families, caregivers, uh, providers, uh, etc., and really served to 
form the story based on the experiences of multiple individuals who have gone through this illness. My role as the uh, medical uh, person involved is one to sort of fact check and make sure uh, while we would never want to rob a family or a caregiver uh, of their experience, I want to make sure that the experiences that we portray are accurate uh, from a medical perspective. Uh, but number two, I also give the role of what it's like to be on the other side uh, in the medical role and, and what we see in some of our frustrations and the storyline there. So it's a constant back and forth between the families and the individuals affected, the creative uh, artist, Mr. Steiger, and then myself as the medical professional. You've just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And we're talking with Charles Samnow. He is a physician. He's the director of the Medical Student Education in Psychiatry program at the George Washington University School of Medicine. We're talking about his play called Tangles, which he and Jeffrey Steiger have put together. And we're going to talk to uh, Jeffrey in just a few minutes. Who are the performers in this show, Doctor? Sure. We use professional actors from the Washington, D.C. area, uh, even some members of Actors' Equity. Uh, and the reason for that is that um, when Jeffrey and I first started out, and even before uh, Jeffrey joined me here at GW, um, I had explored in doing role plays with physicians. And while we found that could be a powerful experience, the problem was that these physicians are not uh, able or used to some of the emotional aspects uh, real-time in front of an audience. And they can crack, break characters. Etc. So we decided that the safest way to allow physicians uh, to tap into this experience was to use professionals who were portraying the role, but who could always remain in character despite uh, the challenges, and then to let the refish, uh, physicians, family members reflect on the experience. And that's been very, very successful. So what have you learned from going through this experience in either watching the musical or watching the you know, the the medical professionals and students, uh, you know, go to the musical. So, so what have you learned from this? Well, I have learned so much. At every performance, we hear from the audience. So our performances are not just a play, clap, go home. It is a play and then a discussion led by myself and then oftentimes other health care providers. What I hear first and foremost is the wonderful stories of caregivers around, uh, you know, our city and now around the nation who have come up with the most creative and amazing ways to connect with individuals. And rather than focusing on despair and loss, the hope that we get from the new connections, the creativity that these individuals show uh, has been outstanding. I mean, it just, it just floored me, quite frankly. As a psychiatrist, I've learned the medical model, but by having this play and reaching communities and reaching geriatric uh, health providers, I've learned some out-of-the-box strategies and resources and ways to really keep hope and keep families together. That's what I think I've taken away from this. How do you think it's helped your students? In terms of students, I think it provides them with a lot of hope. Students come into medicine um, with great aspirations. If you were to read the personal statements of most of our students, it's because they had a family member with an illness that they watched and they want a better health care system or they want to become the next uh, researcher that finds a cure. And there's something about the medical school and medical training process that starts to dig away at that. And burnout, uh, anxiety, depression among health care providers is amazing major, major concern, even all the way up to physician suicide. So what we like to do is help students and trainees reconnect to those reasons of why they went into medicine, bringing out the emotions, the humanistic sides, and then connecting them with families who are doing amazing things on the ground that healthcare providers in this rushed uh, uh, nature of, of medicine where we get 15 minutes uh, to, to perform an exam because of health insurance bills sometimes don't get to hear these stories. So it really gives them a new hope and new enlightenment for why they they went into the profession. So we only have about a minute left before we're going to break and talk to Jeffrey, your, your cohort in crime here on this musical. Um, but so many medical students come in, and, and the geriatric population in particular is seen in a negative light. Do you think that your musical, while somebody still has Alzheimer's, do you think it helps them to see, you know, the positive side of um, illness and, and disability? Absolutely. I mean, I think that for both medical providers and medical students as well as for families, one of the differences about our, our musical is we are not about uh, loss 
and decay and decline. I mean, we certainly don't want to paint a rosy, false picture of Alzheimer's. It's a difficult, challenging disease. But what we try to paint is hope. How can someone in the healthcare profession, by doing a small thing, make a huge difference for a family? And how can a family, by attending our musical and being able to talk to doctors on a level playing field, tell doctors about their experience and make a difference for future doctors to, to, to do different things with this um, with this illness. So I think there's absolutely a lot of hope from both ends. Now, if somebody here at the UT Health Science Center wanted to bring your show to San Antonio, is that possible? Absolutely. Our show uh, is able to go on the road. We have a simple but elegant set. Uh, we have uh, our performers and instruments, uh, but at a relatively small group of people, and we take requests all the time. Some of our other shows have gone as far as Las Vegas and even down to South America. So we are always willing to travel cool. and certainly to have those requests. Well, we're going to jump to uh, Jeffrey Steiger now. We want to thank you very much, Dr. Samno, for coming on with us. It's been great, and uh, I think you'll have a wonderful time talking with Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, and we're going to talk with Jeffrey Steiger about tangles in just a moment right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we now have the second half of our interview. We were talking just a few moments ago with Dr. Charles Samnow. Uh, Dr. Samnow at uh, George Washington University Medical School uh, came up with a really, really interesting idea to put together a musical theater production uh, called Tangles uh, dealing with Alzheimer's disease. And as he said to us just a couple of moments ago, uh, he was smart enough to bring in uh, Jeffrey Stiegler, who is the artistic director of the New Theater of Medicine at GW University. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And, Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, when Dr. Samno approached you with the idea of doing a musical on Alzheimer's, what did you think? Yeah, I, I'd say it, it came about almost simultaneously. He and I, in our back and forth, um, began with a, a sketch, just a very short script, and it seems like at the very same moment we had turned to each other almost to say it should be more. It should be a musical. It needs to have many different ways that the story should be told. Well, Dr. Steam now was talking about sort of the process that you went through to get these stories. So you had focus groups. How, how did you develop the stories and the characters? Yes, I was very fortunate to be able to speak to a variety of people from health professionals, families, caregivers, individuals who identify as having a neurocognitive disease, and to ask them questions about their experience and their perspective, how they see things, places of hope, places of challenges. Um, and so the goal was to try to create one story with an arc and these very specific complex characters that represent common dynamics and common tensions inherent in all the various interviews. And so uh, through that process, it really was just finding those questions inherent in the interviews, those patterns, common answers, perhaps articulated differently from person to person. And then through this development process of bringing in pages to actors and hearing the words and trying on um, different ways of approaching a character, it, it, it has evolved and then continues to evolve. Obviously, you have a theater background. Uh, had you ever thought you'd be doing this in a medical school? Uh, no, but it makes complete sense. So I never spent time thinking about it, but now it makes complete sense to me just in that my father is a retired physician, and in my, my past life when I was artistic director of a theater at the University of Michigan, um, similar in that I would create original work about dialogue, in that case for faculty. There were a few times uh, every year that I would work in medicine, and I was just absolutely lit by it. The, uh, there are fewer dramatic questions or situations than in medicine, and something about it rang very, very true and mm. very familiar, and also seemed like the most immediate place to do some real good and some real change. That's fascinating. Now, are... Did you also do the music, the, the lyrics, or do you have other people working with you? 
both myself writing the songs and, and writing the lyrics as well. I'm also fortunate enough to work with a very talented music uh, musical director named Nathan Bluestein and some very talented performers as well. So I, I bring in the songs, and it's through that process that I'm able to make them more complex. And I work out the cello parts and work out, in this case, ukulele parts as well and piano. Of course you have a ukulele. Of course. <laughs> well, I should add, so the reason, one reason we have a ukulele is Gwendolyn, um, our, our main character, uh, in her life, she, she loves kitschy Hawaiian music, and she's also a painter, and Gwendolyn is our, our character who has Alzheimer's. And so our set are these three screens that change based upon projections, so our scenes are almost like paintings. And the music always has the suggestion of Hawaii, using ukulele, the xylophone that comes in there. Although it's not Hawaiian music, we always have this layer and design and suggestion oh. of Hawaii. What kind of response do you get from audiences when you uh, put this show on? And, and Dr. Samno said you have taken it uh, outside of Washington to a number of different places, including a performance in South America somewhere. Yes, well, so we bought, um, uh, we have a, a couple of different productions that intersect. And the production we brought to South America has many different elements that are in tangles and musical. And the tangles, uh, the musical is toured, I uh, guess, recently in Indianapolis, in GW. And the response is just fantastic. It's, uh, the post dialogue is both, or primarily, I should say, the place for attendees to really dialogue about the issues, but it also just ends up having this this wonderful opportunity for myself to learn even more about the issues, to try to make the story as, as truthful as possible. And so people end up telling their stories a lot. They, they start by saying, well, that moment in the story rang with me. I had that very situation. Or I am that brother who calls in and doesn't fully know what's going on. Or I am that caregiver and what really rang with me. And so people end up really sharing their stories and and I think what Atlanta pleased with is really connecting also with each other and, and hearing about possible strategies and solutions as well for challenges they may feel that they can't overcome. So we find with uh, in the caregiver business that the first time, you know, a caregiver comes into one of our centers and talks to one of our specialists, you know, it, the box of Kleenex is essential because they haven't mm-hmm. talked about it and they will just opening that that lid just a little bit and all that emotion just comes pouring out. Have you had that experience with any of your audience members, even, you know, if they're medical students, where you've tapped something that they've kept boxed inside from watching this musical? Yes, I really appreciate that, uh, that, that story and that, that reality. And, yes, that happens all the time. And, and I very much wanted to, to capture that. Uh, we have one scene. Uh, normally in the storyline structure, I wouldn't just insert a character who walks in and walks out. It's sort of like that bad writing when a phone rings and so someone has to leave. It's not the kind of writing I want to do. But it made so much sense. As much as I try to take it out, it defies structure. A character in this hospital lobby that runs into our, our character, Gwendolyn, uh, character Veronica, who's the caregiver. It's this very brief scenario where she's there and they end up having this connection because he's there in this hospital, he brought his own, his own parent there who has Alzheimer's, and he's caring for this. And they connect in this two-page scene where all of a sudden the world makes sense to Veronica just by hearing the story of another caregiver. Uh, just suddenly in that moment, this other caregiver is asking her, you know, do you also look, uh, avoid those plates that have patterns? Do you, do you see objects as possible distractions? Do you count the days by pills? Do you hang her favorite dress up on the door to the bathroom, and she says yes. And it's in that moment that you know we really understand that she's a bit isolated, and that she has an opportunity to have her story, her personal story, validated. We're talking about the musical theater performance and production called Tangles, dealing with Alzheimer's and uh, the interaction between family members and extended family on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Our special guest is Jeffrey Steiger, Artistic Director of the New Theater of Medicine at George Washington University, and we're talking about a production that he and Dr. Charles Samnow have been involved in. Uh, From your standpoint, where do you go from here? Are there uh, expansions to this play? Would you like to see it performed elsewhere? Is it uh, something that perhaps 
uh, WETA, the public television station of Washington, D.C., might be interested in? Uh, well, we, we certainly hope so. Our, our goal is to continue to realize that we, we um, believe it's, it's developed at this version that it's at, but we think there's a greater story more be to bring out the tones and colors of all these different narratives. And so we'd really love to expand it to a whole other step. Uh, we'd love to see it play in professional theaters. And although we do professional theater, by that I mean more traditional theater and have a three-month run somewhere in all the various families, individuals, communities that could come in to do it. So we'd love to, to continue to develop it, yes. And sometimes I have to remind myself how long it takes to really fully realize a story, right? follow the creation of musicals like Hamilton and, and other productions and how it can take some years. But I believe we're about a year away, hopefully able to bring it to that place. Right, and then you'll be ready for a revival at some point where you can rediscover it all over again <laughs> you know, yes. a few years from now. Well, well, you know, th- this idea of theater and medicine, you know, is, is very unusual. So what other kinds of things are you working on? You know, what's the focus of the theater of medicine? Well, the, the focus is really to use theater to improve health care in a variety of ways and also then to use that as the springboard of health care and how it can perhaps alter how we approach our theater. And so our, our, our project, of course, is to develop this musical production. We'd like to take our other one act called The Autopsy of Dr. Melinda J. Smith, which follows a new medical student up to her third year of residency when she tends to, she acts out in this uh, very unprofessional way. We'd love to develop that into a full story to be able to engage um, families and other health professionals to think about some of the issues related to burnout. Um, but certainly just to expand the ways that theater can perhaps affect policy, can help health professionals realize exactly how important their communication is, how, how central person-centered care is. Um, how a variety of these dynamics actually affect um, medicine, despite perhaps having the best knowledge about cures or or you know, possible approaches to diseases. These are all central to these issues. Well, you know, I think it's fantastic. You know, as a parent who has a son that just finished his third year of residency, he's just about done. You know, the lights at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, the Putting the humanity back into medical school and back into medicine, we've gotten so scientific, and this just seems like such a fabulous way to connect with the students and and put that humanity back uh, into their studies and help them maybe see themselves through these characters. Absolutely. That's at the core. Absolutely. It's got to be very rewarding for you and Dr. Samnow to be involved in these kinds of projects. Obviously, he's incredibly supportive of what you're doing, and I suspect uh, the same is true of the university. Yes, uh, and I'd say, you know, the, the real partnership that I have with, with Dr. Samnow is if the show could not be what it is, it wouldn't be where it is. It's uh, our back and forth, his artistic eye. Um, his sensibility of medicine. Uh, really, this production is the result, I think, of multi-layered ways that uh, he understands medicine and its connections to theater and theater to medicine. I'd asked you off the air if uh, any of the music or any of the performances on YouTube, you need to upload a little bit of this. <laughs> yes, we do. We need to get on that. That's why I God made that. iPhones. You can just tape it with your uh, iPhone. Yes, I know. There's no excuse anymore. So, I want to thank you, you so much. We, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been absolutely fascinating, and uh, we'll keep track, and perhaps at some point uh, you can do a production here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, and elsewhere. I love that. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, and Jeffrey Steiger and, and the musical. <laughs> it's funny to talk about an Alzheimer's patient family as a musical but it it seems to work carol that's right tangles you have to ask for it in your community i love it you're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer take five with dr jamie heisman up next it's hard to believe but this all began in the year 2010 has it really been that long that we've dr. been dr robin eikoff ron aaron well med radio 
What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. At the end of each of our Caregiver SOS programs, we bring you Take 10, which is a marvelous opportunity to hear us bat around a topic that may be of interest to a whole lot of folks. We think it will be. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in caregiving as well as addictions. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and me, I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, um, you've been having nightmares you know, Ron, it's funny you should mention that. So, okay, Jamie, the, you can hang your sign out. The The therapist is in, but this is what's going on. So, um, as you know, uh, my, my father, my sister, and I take care of my mother who has Alzheimer's. And she has been, it's been one of those transitional periods where we have moved her from the home into, we're on our third place that she has lived in a month. So, it hasn't gone well. And I found out that throughout this last month, both my sister, my father, and I are having nightmares all night, every night. And um, this has just been, it's all three of us. So I was wondering, you know, what is, why are we having nightmares? You know, what is causing them? You know, what is that, what is it telling us? Well, you know, Carol, nightmares are are normal, okay? Let me first clear up for you and for caregivers out there. Uh, they're part of a, a lingering sort of bereavement, if you will, or even the, the re-experience of, of events that you you just went through. In fact, in Amarillo not long ago, um, you, your sister, your father, all of you have gone through a fairly traumatic time. And without getting into deep, deep uh, sort of, you know, things that occurred there, because that's not what the show is about, of course. It's about how we can offer help. Um, I can flat out tell you, you all have gone, walked through the fire zone and have come out the other side. So nightmares and, and anxiety and panic, it's, it's all pretty normal. So, so the panic is normal, um, and the nightmares are no, normal. So in my dreams are kind of classic, where I'm the house is off its foundation. I'm in the house. It's being swept away in the water, and I'm trying to stop the house before it gets to the ocean. Same dream every night. No, there's a lot of water. I have a lot of water in my particular dreams. Well, dreams are beautiful sort of ways to get to the, to the unconscious, and, and obviously you're feeling out of control. And, and you have a very, very difficult time, as all of us caregivers do, in, in this issue around control. I mean, this is one of those things, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a time when caregivers cannot control as well as in any way, shape, or form. But what they can control is their own mind, their own body, and their own soul as they're going through this sort of war zone that your whole family has. So is there anything that we can do before we go to sleep at night to, you know, tell ourselves that we're doing the best we can and, you know, I don't know, to give ourselves some reassurance? How do we go from, you know, the nightmare zone that we all seem to be stuck in to back to, I won't say normal because you said nightmares are normal, but to no, the non-scary kind of dreams. Kind of running through meadows with flowers and butterflies. <laughs> there are well, no butterflies. You know, mindfulness obviously is a huge antidote for that. But I, I will also mention to you that um, that sleep hygiene at this particular critical point in time is very, very important. That literally, you know, taking care of, of your sleep patterns before you go to sleep, making sure you turn off televisions at least, you know, 45 minutes before you fall asleep, listening to guided image, uh, meditation or, or imagery, if you will, that's, 
that comes across as a wonderful, wonderful application called Insight Timer that I would absolutely recommend everybody to and, get for so that's $4.95. An, that's an app on a phone? Pardon me? It's an app on a phone? Yeah, it's a wonderful app on the phone, and it's got so much content, and it's got so many places to go or to help you sleep or if you're having nightmares or meditations, if you will, that as you go to sleep with, with the earphone or, or let's say just you know a bud, if you will, in your ears, you're listening, it helps you kind of get into the sleep patterns. But understand right now, sleep hygiene is critical and because anxiety is occurring. And if anxiety is occurring, obviously, you, you really have to prepare for it. What is sleep hygiene? Well, sleep hygiene is literally, um, if anybody, and I'm one of those two over the years have had difficult times with sleep or to prepare yourself not to have anxiety as you go to sleep or, as Carol says, that I'm going to have a nightmare or I'm going to have this occur or that occur. Sometimes you really have to prepare ahead of time before you go to sleep. You know, make sure your room is uncluttered. Make sure your television is off. Make sure when you lay down and relax, you, you have, let's say, something first to read, and then, like I mentioned, a guided meditation that allow you to go to sleep. Um, acute anxiety under what Carol and her whole family has gone through, Ron, is, is pretty natural, but there are things that we can do, certainly around sleep, that will lessen it. And, of course, if it continues, it continues you definitely want to get an assessment, evaluation, talk to either a good sleep specialist who's a neurologist or a good psychiatrist also who can help you with this issue. So in, you know, in my particular dreams, there's a gamut of emotions. So I can, you know, I have the, I'm afraid, I have the anxiety, I have the, you know, the dream where I'm really mad and I'm angry. Um, so are all of those emotions that are in our dreams, is that, you know, are those just a reflection of what I'm really feeling inside? I mean, is it like one for one or is it symbolic of something else? They're symbolic. And I don't, you know, we don't have a long time to obviously go through dream interpretation. But Carl Jung would say that they are projections of what's going on inside your own psyche so that these things projecting are, are happening and they're projecting into your dreams. You know, the anger that you have, it's, it's really not anger at anybody out there. It's probably, you know, anger you're feeling, which is something we do to ourselves. We kind of beat ourselves up in this whole process, like we could do more, like we could, you know, so we get angry at ourselves. Or the sadness that we feel in our dreams for others is really a projection of the sadness we may feel for ourselves. So I really always really uh, recommend that a good Jungian, trained therapist, and there are many of them out there, uh, who are, I think, specialized in dream interpretations is, is a place to go. And again, if you go to like psychology today and put your zip code in, uh, you probably could come up with people who are actually excellent in terms of dream interpretation. But, but they are a roadmap, Carol, to your own mental health. And that's the beauty of dreams and even nightmares. Are your sisters and father's nightmares similar? Well, we... They they are similar in that they are dis, you know similarly disturbed you know I can remember one of mine I was back in class and I was having to learn German but the German you know, which I'm terrible at I took German in college so it wasn't math class it was German class and then they had removed the German words and put symbols for the German words which of course meant absolutely nothing so you know and my father is um, can't get to my mother. Uh, and I think my sister's pretty angry <laughs> most of her dreams. Wow. So, and, but and it's, it's, are you waking your husband up? Or are you, you waking up thrashing? Or I don't think I thrash, but I wake up often, and when I wake up, I go back to sleep, and another nightmare stops. So it's one nightmare starts. at... Yeah, it starts, sorry. It's one nightmare you know, after another. You know, Carol, these are very important things to attend to. Um, it's, uh, uh, again, uh, without getting... In fact, Carol, go right to a hospital. He's like, check yourself no, in. Not. The beauty of this is that, uh, you know, anybody who can assist you in a very therapeutic, safe environment with a background in trauma, don't forget, you went through what I would clearly tell you is like almost a PTSD, a post-traumatic stress response to what you witness with your family, and most caregivers do. Well, she's mentioned about her mom going into the hospital. She's talked about that on the air. Right. But but we don't need to go into detail. Yeah, in in that respect, though, it is a trauma, and it's a trauma for the whole family. And trauma works its way through the system, and it's happening through your dreams or your nightmares. And just so the caregivers who are listening to us know that there's extraordinarily remedied sort of ways to go down this road. You have a therapist down the street who is, is excellent, and that's a safe, safe, safe space 
to allow these emotions to come out. And if they're skilled in dream interpretation as well, it'll accelerate the healing. Yeah. I, I didn't hear you mention NyQuil or alcohol. No, well, you know, that's called a refuge, and, and obviously it's, uh, I'm not here to get on the sermon and tell people what to use as a refuge, but mindfulness and meditation is also a refuge, and uh, a refuge is some place where you find a safe place from the storm. Right. Um, so if you're going through depression or if you're going through anxiety or going through sleep disturbance issues, uh, obviously it's much more prescribed to, to try the, the homeopathic, holistic approach. Well, so for the caregivers that are listening, I only bring this up simply because it's it was the whole family. You know, this is it's mm-hmm. temporary. And I think all of us wake up every morning acknowledging we know where that's coming from. Um, we know it's our way of processing and dealing with it. But for caregivers who are, are disturbed by their dreams when it feels like it's out of control, you know, I agree, Jamie. If it keeps going on forever, I, you know, I'm going to look for something else, and I'm going to take you up on that meditation. But remember, Carol, also, and real quickly, this is not only about the present. They trigger also fear and control issues and things that happen as a child. Got to stop you right there. We're flat out of time. Why we need to get into therapy. We're going to get her there. In fact, I'll drive her right He's after the show. <laughs> Dr. Jamie, we'll be back with Take 10 next week right here. On Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer.